0: What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for wrapping up your week with us. This is your Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today, which is, of course, a Sports Ethos presentation. I am your host, Joe Orico, and you guys can hit me up over on Twitter, at Joe Orico 99 also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where all of our new podcast links, articles, and different news and notes are posted over on the Twitter side. You guys can get them at the source at sportsethos.com. but if you want them conveniently in your feed, go follow Ethos Fantasy BB and you get all of our new stuff. And speaking of our new stuff, the podcast that Britton Allen is going to be doing that we have been talking about at length here over these last couple of weeks is finally available in your podcast feeds. It's gone. I've shared out a link on my Twitter. It's also in the Ethos BB feed, Ethos Fantasy BB feed. And the first two episodes are live. Britain has done a fantastic job pulling this together. Uh, you know, He is going to be doing this, I believe, once a week we are going to have a podcast that might change. You know There might be a week with two podcasts. There might be a week off here and there. Uh, but generally, we're going to be getting one podcast a week from Britain discussing the NFBC draft champions, deeper league targets. It's going to be more focused on the high-stakes game. Now, I've been talking a lot about the NFBC throughout the offseason. We're still going to touch on it here and there, but as the season does get underway, we are going to shift back more to what we did last year, which is more Yahoo-focused, ESPN-focused. We're going to look at fan tracks and CBS and those more shallow leagues. Britton is going to be looking at the deeper leagues, and he is going to do a fantastic job. He already has in these first couple of episodes. You guys need to be downloading it. You need to be subscribing and hitting him with a five-star review to help him get on his way because Lord knows it is not an easy task to undertake a podcast, let alone a solo podcast. And I know I'm trying. it sounds like I'm tooting my own horn there. I'm not trying to. It's just something that is, it is a challenge. And getting that off the ground, when you're starting from zero viewers, it does take some help. You can't do it on your own. So go and show Britain some support. Hit the subscribe button. Go check it out on Twitter. You'll find the links there. And if not, go search It's Gone in your podcast feeds, wherever you get your shows. You get it on the same platforms you guys listen to this podcast, whether it's Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, all the rest of them, it's available. So please do go show Britain some support. Now, today, we are back into our Friday rankings. Now, last week, we took Friday off. We were talking with Mike Kurland about the Marlins, so we skipped over the rankings, and we did that early this week. We talked about shortstop. Yesterday, we were joined by Frank Stample of CBS, who's become a very good friend of mine over the last year. fantastic pod we did yesterday, if I do say so myself, talking about the Yankees. We previewed every player on the team, essentially. Uh, you know, the entire lineup, we talked about a couple of bench players as well. The entire rotation, we went through the bullpen, Very in-depth look at the Yankees for fantasy baseball for 2023. So go check that one out if you haven't. Also, we did it live, so it is available on our YouTube channel, but it is in your regular podcast feeds as well. But we get back to our Friday rankings today. We'll be talking outfield, and outfield is a big one. We're going to be doing 15 of them today. We're probably going to get through at least four outfield shows, I'm going to say. I mean, a very minimum of three, but I think we're probably going to do four. The player pool... It's it's pretty deep for outfield. You can very easily make a top one hundred outfielders. I mean, I'm gonna probably do fifty or sixty outfielders, but we'll we'll see how far we do. My rankings as of right now have fifty three outfielders on them. Uh, we're still we're still building them to, building them up. Uh, we'll probably get to sixty, and we'll probably end up doing four shows. But we're gonna start off today with the most interesting number one show um, for outfield. It's gonna feature the fifteen most. Yeah, the 15 guys I like the most, but definitely have the most interesting names. Looking at the top of the board here, number one for me, and based on ADP, and you know, if you're looking at projections, generally projections have him as the number one outfield. Well, eh, that's not necessarily true, depending on where you look. But it's Ronald Acuna Jr. I have Acuna as number one for a number of reasons, and he's been, you know, a huge target of mine going back now to when I made the top 50 that I did at the end of last season was October or November. I forget exactly when I dropped that. Um, But I said in that piece that he is a a target of mine to win the national league MVP this upcoming season. Uh, I think that we are looking at a big bounce back for him, even though last year wasn't terrible by any means from the fantasy point of view, he still had a very good season. Uh, But now we are another year removed from the ACL, which I know everybody's been talking about. It's not like it's some, some hot take or something to say that he is going to have a better season another year removed from injury. But you're looking at these projections. He is the only player for ATC projections, and I've talked a lot about how ATC is the one I trust the most. It's an aggregate of all the other systems. The Bad X is great. I also like the Bad X, and they all have their different purposes. Um, but ATC, I think, is a good all-encompassing projection that kind of shows you generally what the community is thinking, what the what the smartest people in the community are thinking. Ronald Acuna Jr. is the only player projected for a 30-30 season. That also comes with 105 runs, 87 RBIs, and a 276 batting average. I also feel like there are just going to be some, some kind of prove-it feeling within Acuna this year, which is, of course, not analytical, but I do feel like he is going to want to bounce back this season, specifically in the power department where he was lacking last season. You know, you, we would have expected, a lot of us expected him to not steal last year, coming off of the ACL and, you know, maybe, you know, sell out for a bit more power to still have some value. Uh, it was kind of the opposite. The power was not really there. The ISOs, which had always been ridiculously high, you know, well over 200 and over 300 the last couple of years, albeit abbreviated seasons, uh, ISOs of 331 and 313. This past season, it was 148. So there's definitely some small concern there, but I think another year removed, I mean, we have to remember, Acuna, is, he's just turned 25 in December. We're not even at his prime yet, and he's already shown 40-40 upside we're a year removed from that injury, and I think we'll see him get back to what he was doing before he was injured. You know, we could look at 2019 and say, you know, maybe it was a bit of an outlier for home runs because the ball was bouncy, fun ball. I tweeted out this morning, you know, looking at 2019. What would have happened if Giancarlo Stanton had played all of 2019? He went ahead hit 70 home runs. But I think, you know, even with that being said, you can look at Acuna as a 30-home run guy with, you know, even if he doesn't hit 30 steals, you probably expect him to get somewhere in the mid-20s. It's interesting, looking at the bat, you know, there's the Bat X, and there is the Bat. The Bat X has Statcast data built into it. Uh, they have them for thirty-one steals, and everybody pretty much has them for thirty-plus, except for the Bat, which has them for twelve steals. I don't really understand that one. Uh, I'm not so in depth with numbers and projections how they work but every other system has for over 30 the bat has them for 12 steals that's kind of interesting to me but i wouldn't read too much into it i think that you are going to see that speed continue to be there even if it's not 35 like steamers calling for you know i think that like the 28 steals that you're seeing uh the zips projections calling for is probably about as small of a number as you're going to expect and they have them for 28 steals 29 home runs like 30 30 is very likely with Acuna. And I would be drafting him. You know, if you, if you take him first overall, there is no problem there for me. His ADP is 2.25. You could make a very easy argument to take him first overall this year. I'd probably lean Jose Ramirez still. Uh, but outfield in the five outfielder league is still very, very weak. So uh, look at Acuna at the first overall pick, second, third. Anywhere in that top bunch, he is an absolutely solid pick. And there are a couple of outfielders. There are five outfielders going within the top ten based on ADP. They are the same five that I have in my top five, albeit ranked a little bit differently. uh, And I'll start to go off the board right here, actually, in terms of those projections. So I have Kyle Tucker as my, not in terms of projections, but in terms of rankings and ADP. I have Kyle Tucker as my number two outfielder for this upcoming season. And, you know, he is going as number four based on ADP. And we're talking, you know, between him and Acuna, we're talking three picks. Uh, Tucker is still 5.6 based on ADP, and I'm looking at the most recent 25 drafts that have taken place since the middle of January. Kyle Tucker, man, I mean, people are sleeping on him, I think, even though he is the you know fifth based on ADP, I still do think that there is room to grow there. I think he can easily be a number one overall fantasy player. And I saw Todd Zola tweet something recently about how he has a good chance to end up outside Of all the players drafted in the first round or two rounds, he has the best chance to end up outside of that number. I don't really see that when you look at what he's done. You know, I know some people are skeptical of the speed. and you know, maybe it's something with the bat. I think the bat might have something, I, I don't know, maybe there's something that they need to update or something because the bat has them only stealing four bases. That's not going to happen uh, everywhere. every other projection system has them for at least 18. Uh, some as high as 24. We look at what he's done, though, the last two seasons, 30 home runs each year. He's given you great counting stats in each of the last two seasons. You're looking at 170-plus, even though it's come different ways. In 2021, it was 83 runs and 92 ribbies. This past season was 71 and 107. He had a 257 batting average. But if you guys remember the way the year started, um, it was, like, ridiculously bad for Kyle Tucker. And it ended up weighing down the entirety of the season for him. If you look at May, uh, April, the first month of the season, he batted 224. If you look at May, he batted 253. It was really not a great first half in terms of batting average. And then even in July, he struggled a little bit. We really truly saw him get going. I guess you could say it was in August when he batted 330. That was his, like, I mean, he got going before then, but that's when he really truly kicked it into gear. Uh, Kyle Tucker has the potential to be close to a 300 hitter. I'm not saying necessarily that he is going to hit 300, but that's definitely within the range of outcomes for him. We saw him hit 294 the year prior in in 2021, and it was down this year because partially that bad start and also a low BABIP for the year just kind of kept him down. But with his speed, you know, he's not the fastest player in the world, but he is pretty friggin' quick. Uh, He's going to be able to steal you 20-plus bases, and those BABIPs should generally tend to skew higher uh, than what we saw last season. I think when it comes down to him, versus the other guys at the top. And I guess I can kind of talk about them all here at once uh, when it comes to Acuna, Aaron Judge, Julio Rodriguez, and Kyle Tucker. The thing for me that puts Kyle Tucker ahead of Julio is the lineup, really. Also, the fact that we have an extra couple of years of track record, you know, specifically you know, 2021. I know Kyle Tucker is not the oldest player in the world. Uh, he's also only 26 himself. He just turned 26 recently, last month. Um, But you have an extra year to look back on and say, okay, it wasn't fluky. Not to say that Julio is fluky, but when you only have one season of data to look at, we're really not sure exactly what to expect out of Julio, whether it'll be a step forward or a step backwards. Where With Kyle Tucker, you can say, okay, he's hitting 30 dingers. He's going to have 170, 180 runs and RBIs together in that lineup, even though they ridiculously bat him sixth or seventh or whatever the hell. He might even be batting ninth for all I know at this point, the way that they use that lineup. But it wouldn't even matter with how deep it is. He is that good. He's going to give you those 30 homers, 170, 180 runs in RBIs, 20 itch steals, and that batting average should be somewhere in the 270-plus range. And I feel a lot com- more comfortable projecting that out of him than I do out of Julio Rodriguez, who I am not down on by any means. Julio is my number three outfielder. But I think if you know push comes to shove there, and it probably doesn't in the first round, uh, you have to just you know make a decision there. When you're getting the third, fourth pick, second, third pick, whatever it is, uh, for me, it's just a safer option to go with Kyle Tucker. But that is nothing against Julio Rodriguez at all. The projection still very much like him. 27 homers, 90 runs, 80 ribbies, 21 steals, and a 276 batting average. But I will take the, you know, probably a few more homers I'm going to get from Tucker with you know, better counting stats, very similar stolen bases, and a very similar batting average. Uh, I will have a slight lean to Tucker there. And a large part of it is because of the lineup that he is in. And the lineup that Julio is in is very good. And that's part of the reason why he is being drafted so high. You know, his skill set is fantastic, but if his skill set was the way it is in Oakland, I don't think we'd be drafting him very high. It's the fact that you look around him and the team is incredibly solid and they've gotten better. And I think when you look at him, you you have to be pretty confident, despite the fact that, you know, I, I might not sound the most confident there pushing him below Tucker, but it's just because Tucker is so elite. Tucker is just fantastic. Even in a down year last year, he was nearly a first-round player. So I'll take him very, very ever so slightly over Julio. And I could be wrong. Julio could go and give you 35 and 35 this season and bat 300 and have a 100 runs and a 100 RBIs. And I don't think it would shock anybody. I just think that you're having a slightly higher floor with Tucker while also having an incredibly high ceiling for that potential of 35, 40 home runs, potentially even... With the same number of runs and RBIs, the same steals, and the same batting average, you know it's a slight lean to Tucker, um, but it's not much. You you could you could flip a coin essentially. It's uh, just a matter of your personal preference. But for me, it's Kyle Tucker. Now, Aaron Judge, I have at number four. He is going as number two based on ADP. But like I said at the beginning, if you look at Acuna, Judge, Rodriguez, and Tucker, those are one through four respectively. Their ADP is two, three, four, and five. So. Not exactly hot takes. I know a lot of people are big on Aaron Judge. We discussed them at a decent length yesterday when I was talking with Frank about the, you know, when we we were talking Yankees. Uh, Aaron Judge was a huge part of that discussion. I'm a little worried, and, you know, everybody's a little worried this year with Aaron Judge's projections because they're not, well, I mean, okay, I need to preface that. Um, Maybe not everybody is so worried, but you look at the projections and you say, okay. He is going to take a step back, and you know, even without projections, you could have been told that he's going to take a step back. You, you would, you'd buy into it because last year was just so ridiculous. 133 runs, 131 RBIs. He had 62 homers, and he batted 311, also stealing 16 bases. It was a career high in every single of the five categories for Roto. It was, it was ridiculous, and he was the MVP, and you know, he deserved to be the MVP, I think. But if you look at that, and you have to say, okay, there's a couple things. And we mentioned it yesterday with Frank, and not to be conspiracy theorists, but he was getting better balls down the stretch. We know that to be pretty much a fact. Major League Baseball was giving Aaron Judge better baseballs, and the Yankees better baseballs in general, with the pursuit of the home run title that he was going on. Um, and they got him there, and maybe he got himself there too. You shouldn't take all the credit away from Judge, but he was given preferential treatment, which did you know lift the overall output that he had last season. It was a complete outlier in terms of home runs, in terms of RBIs, and in terms of runs scored. I mean, you look at his rookie season, and he he did that, but he didn't do he did something similar, but he didn't do quite exactly this. He had fifty two home runs, he had one hundred and twenty eight runs scored, and one hundred and fourteen RBIs. Nine steals, and he batted 284. Definitely, like you know, like they said on Sleeper in the bus, and I mentioned this earlier. You know, the diet version of what he did this past season. I, Justin Mason coined that one. I do like it, and I may end up stealing it once or twice throughout the season. He had ten fewer home runs in his rookie season. He had five fewer runs scored, which is whatever. Seventeen fewer RBIs, seven fewer steals, and he batted about thirty points uh, lower. It's not like he has done exactly this specifically the home runs at 62. No one has ever seen that. We're not going to see it again. He's probably going to hit 40 to 45 home runs. He's probably going to have about, you know, about 100 RBIs. The thing where I kind of you know, hesitate here a little bit is the run scored. The projection systems have him for like 110 runs scored. We talked with Frank about this a lot yesterday. I don't see that lineup being that good. I don't really know that he is going to have this kind of output again if it's an average judge season. And I think even with an average judge season, he's very good. That's why I have him at fourth, even if he does regress, which he will. But I don't think we can can look at these projections for the counting stats in particular with that much certainty. Because projections will look at the last three seasons, I believe. Maybe there's some that are five years, some that are two, some that are four, whatever. But I think in general, they look at about the last three years worth of data, and they average it out, and they do a bunch of fancy math. But those last year's crazy numbers are going to be a big factor in the projections for this season. So, you know, if he's having 130 and 80 and 80 RBI seasons, then he is going to still be averaging like 100 RBI seasons every single year if you look at like a three-year average. But is he actually going to give you those 100 RBIs every season? The other seasons we're seeing, you know, granted, he's not always healthy, which is another point there. Um, But we're not seeing 130 RBIs. We're going to see probably like 100, you know, 105 maybe. Maybe you push like 110. Um, That could happen. Zips depth charts calling for 124. You know, even just plain old zips calling for 120. Uh, I just don't see it. I don't see that level repeating. And I don't, another thing is the steals. The steals probably aren't going to repeat either, even with the new rules. You know, that might compensate for a couple extra, but you also have to look at, you know, last year was not really regular judge. His career high prior was nine, which was his rookie year six years ago. Other than that, we've seen six, three. He didn't steal at all in 2020, which was just 28 games. so six in 2021. We're more than likely than not going to see a single digit steals number from judge to go along with quite a few less runs, quite a few less RBIs, and almost certainly we're going to see fewer homers. So, Yes, he's not the number one overall player for me. There are players that do have a lot more certainty at the top of the board in terms of their overall output. You're getting five categories from those three guys that we talked about at the top. Acuna, Rodriguez, and Tucker are all 30-30 potential guys, and that's why they are there. They're also very good batting average players, and you know the counting stats are all on good teams. They're all going to give you good counting stats. But Aaron Judge, you know, he's going to give you probably a few more homers than those guys drastically fewer steals and probably fairly equivalent counting stats. So he is slightly below because, you know, steals, despite the fact of the rules changing, they're still going to be a premium. There's still not going to be something that you can find past pick 400 or 500 or just scoop them off the waivers if you need some steals this week. It's not how they work. You get those crazy high steal guys taken care of early on. It does a lot for you later on in your draft where Judge you know, maybe he gets you 10 steals, which would be very good, but you're kind of sacrificing that buffer you can give yourself at the top if you pass up on one of these other guys. So I have him at four. No disrespect intended there. I like him a lot. I just don't like him as much as you know maybe some other people in the community do. But that's okay. To each their own. We'll look back at the end of the year, and we'll call each other stupid, and we'll see who actually had the best projections. No, that's not how it works. Baseball is one of the best communities that I have seen on Twitter. Baseball, fantasy, baseball. Everybody kind of works together. It's, it's really cool. People don't really do that. And Vlad Sedler actually tweeted this morning, where is the hate? Where is the, not, I'm paraphrasing, but where are the fights? <clears throat> you know, where are people arguing over late round draft picks and stuff? Baseball is just very passive <clears throat> in general as a community. You're not going to see a hell of a lot of fighting going on in general. But let's keep it going. Let's talk about number five here. And that's Jordan Alvarez. I love Jordan Alvarez. I really do. He is number five by ADP, so I'm not moving him around based on where he is actually being drafted. I fully agree with the price of a top 10 pick for him. He is just crazy, stupid elite. Even with the problems that he had last year, it was a hand injury, if I'm not mistaken. It was either a hand or a wrist. I can't remember 100% now, but he missed 20-plus games, had that power suppressed. I believe it was the month of August. Let me just pull it up real quick here and see. But he still had 37 homers, 95 runs, 97 ribbies, and batted 306. He even stole a base for you just to top it all off. You got to love Jordan Alvarez. In that lineup, there's there's nothing not to like about Jordan Alvarez. Okay, the fact he doesn't steal bases, that's, that's pretty much it. Um, let me just see. What was that month where he had no power? It was August, yeah. So he played 23 games. He had one home run. Every other month was at least six home runs. He was deprived of a 40-plus dinger season last year because of health. And in reality... He could be a 50-plus home run guy. Like, I know there are some people in the community who are really big on him. I know Eric Cross was huge on him last year. I think he actually likes him more than Vlad Jr. now. Pretty close for me. And I would have said you were crazy about a year ago thinking about it. But looking now, you know, he is pretty much just as good as Vlad Jr. He is that 40-plus home run guy who is going to give you stupid counting stats, partly because of his talent, partly because he is on a ridiculously good team. And he's going to hit you about 300. Last year, was over 300. So uh, there is no pause at all with Jordan Alvarez. Also, the on-base skills. I mean, a part of it is the fact that they're kind of afraid of him, I think. But he walked 14% of the time last year. He walked 14% of the time in his rookie year as well. And then it kind of dipped down in 2021. Um, but this year, man, like, he became an elite hitter as opposed to just a, a great power hitter. And I am very much in on him. It's a shame kind of, you know, where he's going Not because I don't want him, because I just don't generally have this draft slot. I'm finding I don't have any. I haven't taken him any any mocks, any real drafts so far. And maybe I need to start. You know, when I do my KDS and I do pick in uh, different draft slots this year, maybe I do need to go pick some eight and nine and get me some Jordan Alvarez because I really do think that he is about as solid of a first round pick as you're going to find outside of those guys who steal bases. You know, he is. He is about as solid uh, as a baseball player as you're going to find in this range. Um, and I am all in. There's not, there's not much I really need to say about him. I am totally all in on Jordan Alvarez. We could very easily see a 50 home run season from him with 200 runs in RBIs, a 300 batting average, and a steal or two. With the steal or two is whatever. But everything is going to be elite there. I am totally in. I am totally down on drafting him in the middle-slash-late first-round area. Number six here is where we get a little bit interesting, and it's Fernando Tatis Jr. And we just we just talked about him a lot on the shortstop preview, so I'm not going to get into a lot of depth about him here. It's going to be a bounce back year for him. I think he is going to have something to prove. Does have something to prove, and I think he is going to go out there and prove it in a in a fantastic, fantastic situation there for him in San Diego so i'm I'm very bullish on him. We talked about him for a long time on the shortstop show the other day. I don't think I need to go into too much depth, but I'm very comfortable taking him in the late part of the first round at this point. I mean, it's it's tricky because there is there is risk associated with it, and it does come down to your personal preference if you want to take more risks, if you want to be more conservative. It's up to you, but he he justifies a late first round pick, specifically now that he does have eligibility at a weaker position, shortstop, a little bit deeper as a whole than outfield. I mean, there are more outfielders that are better than shortstops, but you need three, at least three outfielders in a lot of formats. You need five, so uh, him having outfield eligibility, he is the first multi-eligible outfielder here. He's the only one going in the top ten by ADP, and you know, granted, it's shortstop as the second position. It's not the craziest thing, but it's still a second position. It's not my, you know, I'm not somebody who who pushes players up so much because of eligibility, but it definitely does still help him a little bit. So uh, Tatis at number six for me feels very reasonable. I actually have him ahead of the guy who is one spot ahead of him. Actually, two guys who are going ahead of him by ADP, and that would be Mookie Betts and Juan Soto. And I have um, them actually flipped. Soto was going, and we're talking half of a pick here by ADP, 11.3 to 11.6. It's It's like literally not even half a pick. Uh, Soto is going ahead of Mookie Betts. I have Mookie Betts just a touch ahead of Soto. You're getting a little more certainty in terms of the steals, and that is pretty much what it comes down to. There, There's essentially a coin flip there between the two of them, but you're getting some more steals out of Mookie Betts. That's, it's pretty much the only real thing. Um, home runs, you're probably going to see fairly similar numbers. You might see a couple more from Soto. Uh, I think the counting stats are going to be generally pretty close. Uh, Batting average should maybe favor Soto a little bit, but these guys are are very, very close together. I'm not really thinking that one is going to have that much of a better season than the other uh, in terms of Mookie Betts and Juan Soto. So Mookie has 31 homers projected. Soto is projected for 30. We're talking 103-92 and versus 193, uh, 12 steals versus 9, and uh, 275 versus a 279 batting average. So it it really isn't going to make much of a difference for me there, however you have them ranked. And, I, and I'm not just looking at projections, um, but I, I don't think that there is much of a difference between them for fantasy. I put Mookie a slight bit higher because I think that you're probably going to get a few more steals out of him. With that being said, Soto could push double-digit steals given the new rules. It, it is possible. But I'm a slight bit more confident in Mookie bets, even though I don't think the team is as good. I'll take San Diego over the Dodgers this year for sure. But I'm just ever so slightly leaning towards Mookie Betts. And again, it's very close. You could toss a coin essentially here, but we're we're not we're, we're essentially splitting hairs. Moving on though, beyond those guys, we have Mike Trout. And Mike Trout is another one who is very tricky. To place, And I should just say there for a second, those numbers I just listed off for Soto and for Betts, I typically list off ATC projections. Uh, I actually had it to the Bat-X open there. Uh, we're not, not talking much of a difference there. But just in case you guys are looking at ATC and, and it looked different or whatever, uh, that's why. Because those numbers I just said were from the Bat-X. But let's, let's keep it going. Mike Trout is number nine. And I guess I could talk about, nah, you no, know, we'll do it one at a time here. Mike Trout is number nine. And I, I want to have him higher. You know, there's there's a good reason to want to take him higher. He was the number one player for many years. He was a very clear-cut number one player. It's the injury risk at this point. You know, there was a lot of talk last season about how the back injury is going to affect him for the rest of his career. It's not something you want to hear for anybody, but specifically not for Mike Trout. Um, you know, we were very worried when we heard that. Talked on many podcasts last year about, you know, what to do with Mike Trout. Should you just try and sell him right now, and get something back based on the name brand value before he eventually goes to shit. Well, he ended up having his best home run pace ever. He came back, and he was still mashing. He had 40 homers in 119 games. on pace for more than 50 dingers, which he's never done before. And, you know, he's still, he's still Mike Trout, essentially. He might not be exactly what he once was, but you're still getting elite power, You're getting elite counting stats, and you're getting elite batting average. The thing that is not Mike Trout anymore, which once was Mike Trout, is the stolen base numbers. And, you know, it sucks, but it is a reality of somebody who has had injuries, who has a back injury that is, like we said, it's going to be there for the rest of his career. It's going to be an underlying thing he always has to deal with. If you thought the steals were bad the last couple of years, where he's had one, two, and one, I'm expecting zero. And, you know, the bat is crazy, man. I don't know. We were talking about it earlier how they had, like, much fewer steals projected for Tucker and for Acuna. They have, they have Trout projected for 15 steals, where everywhere else has them projected for four or three. Uh, rather strange. I'm not sure why, but in any case, uh, Trout's not stealing 15 bases. There's just, there's just no chance that Mike Trout is going to get you 15 steals, and that's okay. He doesn't need to get you 15 steals because he's going to get you, you know, probably, and we're assuming healthier, of course, but he is probably going to give you 40 home runs. He's probably going to give you in the 80 to 90 run range and the 80 to 90 RBI range, and that is totally reasonable to expect. It, it, and that's probably a little bit conservative. If everybody is healthy in that lineup, then he could very easily give you what ATC is calling for, which is 97 and 95. And that's calling for Trout to miss 20 games too and still give you those numbers. So, I mean, there is no reason to not be in on Mike Trout. They're calling for a two sixty-eight batting average on ATC. Which I can't see him going down that low. I know it hasn't been as great these last couple of seasons, but we're still talking about somebody who has hit 300 many times uh, for the career. He is a 303 hitter. The batting average projections feel very, very low for Mike Trout, and I don't think they should be. Uh, everything else looks fairly reasonable, and uh, you know I'm pretty, pretty reasonably in on him here. Uh, At the number nine outfield slot, which is where he is based on ADP as well, you get him in the second round. Where generally Mike Trout, you're paying a first round price, so there is that. I'm pretty confident here, but there is also a little bit of risk associated with it that you do need to mention because it is definitely a factor there as well. Michael Harris is number ten for me. I like Michael Harris as much as as much as anybody. I mean. I won a bet for him for Rookie of the Year because it was a hedge. Technically, I had um, Spencer Strider originally as my Rookie of the Year. And, you know, uh, it pains me to bring it up. I was talking about it with Frank off the air yesterday. I bet Spencer Strider at like 16 to 1 to win Rookie of the Year. And I was sure he was going to. I was sure I was going to win that money. I forget what I put on it, 40 bucks or something like that, 50 bucks. And it did not pay off, unfortunately, because Michael Harris won Rookie of the Year. And Michael Harris certainly had a very strong case. You could definitely say he deserved it. And I mean, hell, 19 home runs, 20 steals, you 75 runs, 64 ribbies, batted 297. And he did all that in 114 games. He was special, man. He had a 136 WRC+. Maybe he didn't walk as much as you would have liked and maybe struck out a little more than you would have liked. But there's not really much complaining you can do about Michael Harris. In this lineup, and now a big thing with Michael Harris is, last year he was at the bottom of the lineup most of the time he was batting 7 8 9 i think there was once or twice where he did you know bat near the top of the order but for for the most part you were not getting a great batting order spot for michael harris and it didn't matter because he still gave you such fantastic production but now with Dansby swanson gone he should be at the top of that order and those counting stats for him that were 75 and 64 over two-thirds of a season could very easily be closer to 100 and 100, and a lot of systems are calling for that. ATC is a little more conservative, at 87 and 75. Um, but if you look at the Zips DC projections, 89 and 92. If you look at uh, Steamer, eh, Steamer is a little bit lower actually as well, 82 and 76. But you know, you could very easily see 85 runs, 85 RBIs. 25 homers and 25 steals from him to go along with a very solid batting average. And, you know, it might not be 300, but it'll probably be in the 280, 290 range at worst. And they're calling for even a little bit lower than that. I I don't agree. I think that the batting average, like we've saw it in the minors, it will be higher than the 265, eh, about two. Maybe it's not terrible, the projections. They're calling for about 269 to 275 that's probably about right. I would I would bet the over, but it's it's fairly reasonable I'd say and projections tend to be a little more conservative. So that's fine. There's no there's no big deal there. Um but I think he can very easily beat these projections at the top of arguably the best lineup in baseball. So I have no reason to to really move him so far up or down based on these projections, based on my own thinking. I wouldn't want to necessarily take him over Trout, but you could make the argument that he is a safer play, a much younger player who does give you five categories as opposed to Trout's four at this point. Trout's four are more elite, probably, than what, than what uh, Harris does. But the fact that you do get great steals as well, it's close. And again, by the time these hit the website, which are going to be over the next couple of weeks, there, there are going to be some small changes here and there. There's a chance that Harris could be flipped ahead of Trout, depending on my own research and what happens in the next couple of weeks. But as of right now, um, I'll take the fish boy. You're getting more home runs. You're getting probably some more counting stats depending on the health of the Angels lineup because if everybody's healthy there, you you should see Trout give you 100-100, and And that should be not anything out of the ordinary. Um, Assuming Otani is healthy and Taylor Ward is is healthy and producing Jared Walsh, you know, maybe Jared Walsh is healthy. I'm not sure uh, what's going to happen with him in that lineup in general, but there there are some nice pieces there. They brought in Renfro. They have Drury there's a chance that they could be really good and Trout's counting stats could be fantastic. And that's part of the reason why I do put him ahead of Michael Harris. Now, the next two guys I do want to talk about are incredibly close for me. And again, I know I've, I've said this a couple times here today, but you could pretty much flip a coin between these two guys. And it's Cedric Mullins and Randy Rosarena. I have Randy Arena at 11. I have Cedric Mullins at 12, but it's, it's pretty damn close. Um, Randy Rosarena by ADP is 11, Mullins is 13. The guy between them is Dalton Varsho, who I do not have in my top 15 outfielders. I do not feel that he belongs in the top 15. He will be in the next grouping for sure, but he's not in the top 15. I have a Rosarena and Mullins right beside each other, and the projections for them are are spitting image of each other. Mullins is for 18 home runs, uh, A Rosarena for 20. Mullins, 85 runs, A Rosarena for 70, uh, 79 Mullen 61 RBIs, a Rosarena 77. They're projected within two steals of each other, and they're projected within three batting average points of each other. Very close. It really, again, depends on how much you trust their lineups around them because they are going to be in a similar spot at the top of their orders. I'm not sure where a is projected a bat. Probably third. Let me just take a look here. Uh, Probably third, and he might be in a spot to drive in a couple of more runs, which is what the only real difference is in the projections there. And that's probably why I have him ahead of Mullins. But at the end of the day, uh, I would not give you grief. Yeah, he's projected about third. I would not give you any grief to put either, either one of these guys ahead of the other. But they are very, very close. They do very similar things for you fantasy-wise. Roughly 20-20 players with the potential for more steals. About 160-170 runs in RBIs is incoming with about a 260 batting average. So I am uh, you know, probably a little higher on a Rosarena Arena. But this is another situation here with outfield where you could very easily flip them depending on your preference, and I don't think there's going to be a single person who does give you a a hard time here. Um, By draft price, Rosarena is going about 11 picks higher than Mullins, so that might lead some people to value Mullins a little bit higher just because you're getting them around later. But I do think we are splitting hairs at this point between these two guys. They're doing very similar things for you from a fantasy point of view. Either one of them I am very happy to take here. Uh, depending on your league size, round three, round four, in that range, potentially round five, I'm i I'm all in. If you're getting Cedric Mullins past pick 48, you're getting him round five ADP. I'm all in. I am very happy at that point. But let's keep it going. Let's talk about the next guy that I have on the list here, and that's Kyle Schwarber. Kyle Schwarber, it comes down to the power. It really does. He's not giving you batting average, and he's kind of the first guy we've talked about here who is going to be generally a negative in batting average. There are a lot of great outfield batting averages. There are, let's see, based on ATC, there are, oh, you know what? It's it's switched to the wrong position here on my, uh, <laughs> I don't know why Fangraphs, maybe it's me. Fangraph seems a little, a little glitchy here. Pardon me, guys. Let's just pull it up. How many outfielders are projected for 270? There are 24 outfielders based on ATC. They're projected about 270 and above. Very strong position in terms of batting average with Kyle Schwarber. You're not getting that, you're getting probably 230, roughly 230. Last year it was 218, the year before 266. He does kind of fluctuate a little bit between you know the lower end of acceptable and decent batting average. You know, there's been some years where it was pretty damn terrible. 2020 in the short year, it was 188. Uh, But he's also, like we said, 2021, it was 266. So we're not really 100% certain what you're going to get there out of him in terms of the batting average. But I think it would be better than 218, especially with the shift going away. you probably see him bump up a few extra points. Let's call it a 240 batting average you're going to get out of him. With 40 dingers in that lineup, which is excellent, you are going to have great counting stats. You are going to have probably 200 of them. If not 200, then 190. Last year was 194. And I think with the addition of Trey Turner, you know, you're subtracting Bryce Harper for part of the year. But I think that evens out and then some. Every single projection system has him for at least 180. 184, I think, is the lowest that you're seeing out of anybody. And I am totally, totally there. I think that that's reasonable. You're getting some steals out of the big fella as well, despite the fact that he is 230 pounds. He stole 10 bases last year. You know, that was kind of an outlier for him. But the projections have him going. And again, when there is kind of an outlier like this, the projections will factor, not necessarily factor that out. Um, they're going to be factored into those projections. So he had 10 last year. They're projecting between 4 and 6 now next season when he had never had more than 4 in any other year, going back to you know his entire career. But 2018, he had 4. 19, he had 2. And it was 1 and 1 the last two seasons prior. So those 10 steals do get factored into those projections and it might boost up the number that we're expecting. Like I think four is reasonable to expect again. But I don't think seven, uh, like we're seeing from Steamer, is probably going to happen. I think it's going to be on the lower end. I think that that 10 kind of inflates the projection. But even then, you're still getting some steals out of the big fella to go along with everything else. So you're getting three-plus categories. I'm not going to say it's four, because outfield, you generally do get some pretty decent steals numbers. But you're getting 40 dingers, 200, And let's call it five steals to to round it and make it even there. And then you get a 230, 240 batting average. You'll you'll take that. You'll take that with Kyle Schwarber. And I think especially on the price, at pick 57, it's pretty reasonable. Um, I have him as my 13th outfielder. He is 15th by ADP. Very reasonable range to be taken, Kyle Schwarber. This is a range where a lot of outfielders are going. And, you know, there's a lot of outfielders going early in general. There's 23 of them in the top 100 They're going pretty quickly by this range. And Kyle Schwarber is somebody you should be very comfortable taking. I know that there are times, and I do it myself, when you're on a one-minute pick clock or a 30-second pick clock and you panic and you end up taking somebody that you regret. If you do take Kyle Schwarber, you're not going to end up regretting him, even if he is kind of like a last-second, oh, shit, I'm late on the clock here. Um, The range he's going in, even between, you know, I'm looking at the last 25 drafts again, uh, between 35 and 74 is where he is going. That's reasonable. Either end of that is reasonable. 35 might be pushing it a little bit high, but even then, you know what he's going to give you, there are not many guys who are going to hit 40 home runs and give you 200 runs in RBIs. It's it's justifiable is the best way I could put it at that price. I'd probably want him a little bit later than that, but there is no reason to be fading him, even with a late third-round ADP, I don't think. Even if he does get some helium, uh, I'm very happy to take Kyle Schwarber. Next up... George Springer, who's the first guy I'm really pushing up a little bit based on ADP and based on rankings, well, based on ADP, really. Uh, He is 21st by NFBC ADP right now. Four outfielders. I have him at 14. Some of the guys I'm pushing him up ahead of, I just don't feel as confident. We mentioned Dalton Varsho. I don't feel as confident as a lot of people. You know, the expected batting average and the batting average in general is not great. The steals were kind of an outlier, He's going to probably about you know, maybe a slightly worse ballpark generally. I mean, they're, they're changing the Rogers Center, so I'm not really sure how that's going to impact him. But I think it's generally a little bit worse. If you're, you're, you're factoring in the catcher eligibility for Varsho, then yes. Like, you should be taking him ahead of George Springer in your drafts. But just based on outfielders, just strictly based on how, how good they are as a, as a fantasy asset in the outfield, I'm taking George Springer ahead of Varsho. Lubob, Luis Robert, also going ahead of Springer. I, I don't feel comfortable with him projecting for a full season, and it's the same I can say for his teammate Eloy Jimenez, who's also going you know, just one spot ahead of Jordan, not even one full pick by ADP ahead of Springer. I don't trust either of these guys really to play a full healthy season until they have proven it to me that they can. Maybe they will. Maybe they both play 150, specifically Eloy at the DH. He could do it, but I want them to do it first before they show it to me. And now you're probably saying... Joe, I mean, George Springer, you know, he is, he is filled with injuries. He's always injured. And you, you can't trust him as far as you can throw him either. And, you know, you're making a reasonable point, if that is the point you're making. George Springer last season played 133 games. 100 and, yeah, it was 133 games for George Springer last year. Even with the way that he plays the game, I, I still feel more confident projecting him to be, to be healthy than Eloy and Luis Robert. He's actually done it before where those guys haven't. Eloy as the primary DH, you know, he is going to be, you know, pretty pretty closely coming up in these rankings. He's going to be one of the early guys we talk about tomorrow. But I don't feel as confident projecting him because he hasn't done it before. His team around him is worse, and that goes for Lou Bob and for Eloy. The team around them is not as good as Toronto's lineup, even though I do like the White Sox. I think they're going to be a lot better this season. But I don't think they are going to be as good as Toronto. I think Springer at the top of that lineup will have close to 100 runs. He's shown the power. Last year, he brought the speed back a little bit, which you know I almost don't want him to as a Blue Jay fan. I'd rather him just maintain the health, preserve what he's got, play those 130, 140 games. But at the same time, you know the year where he does start running more, he also plays more. And it's not a direct correlation there because there are seasons in the mid-2010s, you know, 2017 he played 140 games he stole five bases the year after 140 games he stole six bases and the year after 122 games he stole six bases so the more games does not necessarily mean more steals for George Springer he was more aggressive last season which I like I like that with John Schneider the Blue Jays semi-new manager he's still the interim manager took over in the middle of last season. I forget exactly when. I think June, July area, and the Blue Jays were more aggressive. We saw Vladimir Guerrero steal all of his bases once Once John Schneider took over. or I believe it was all, if not all, but one steal perhaps. But you might see some more aggression, even though you might not want to see it from him. But you you should pretty comfortably be able to say you're going to get like eight to ten steals. Considering the rule changes, we've talked about this, it's not going to make you know your David Ortiz-type steal bases. That's not what these rules are going to do. Uh, You know, you're not turning big guys into steel guys, but you're turning guys who steal a little bit into slightly better stolen base guys. And the elite guy is just that much more elite. A guy like Springer, even if you want to call him, you know, a five to seven steel guy, these, and that's totally reasonable, I think, based on what we've seen going back the last almost seven years now, calling him a five to seven steel guy is generally who he is. But with these new rules and with the pickoff, with the bigger bases and the pickoff rules, I think that we are going to see probably close to double-digit steals again. You're going to be getting a very solid batting average in the 260s. That is what he does, 260, 270. You're going to be getting, you know, in terms of RBIs, probably 75 to 80 out of him. That's generally what he does, even as a leadoff hitter, which is very impressive. I think that's what you're going to get out of him. And I think the price is very reasonable here with George Springer. At 82, minimum of 69, maximum of 100. Either end there, I mean... I, if you're getting him at 100, I'm totally in. But even at pick 69, you're getting somebody who does have that five category upside when you're kind of looking at the guys around him at this point and you're not really getting that anymore. You're you're kind of getting to the end of that range. So George Springer here kind of represents not necessarily the hard out on a tier, but he is definitely getting close to a point, by ADP at least, where you, you're not really getting guys who secure you five categories anymore. So I've pushed him up here ahead of those guys I mentioned before. He's ahead of Corbin Carroll for me as well, because I think there is more certainty in somebody who has done it before. We don't know what Carroll's going to be. I'm ahead of Starling Marte as well, because there are similar injury risks with Marte. He's old. Marte, I believe, is older uh, by a year. Or two. Yeah, he's a couple of years older, Starling Marte. And I know I've shared some of the same risks with him as I do with Springer. So, again, Marte is not going to be too much farther down this list. Neither is Eloy Jimenez, but if I had to say one way or the other, you know, gun to my head, who am I taking, it's going to be George Springer between those three guys, between any of the guys that I mentioned there, Varsho, Luis Robert, uh, Corbin Carroll, Starlink Marte, even Adelise Garcia, you know, Eloy Jimenez. Those those guys, I'm all pushing them below George Springer. It's not by a lot, but it's enough that I would rank (laughs) Springer ahead of them. One more player we are going to talk about today and round out our top 15 with. Uh, Play the bagpipes. It's a departed Blue Jay. It is Teoscar Hernandez. I love Teoscar. I I loved what he did in Toronto. I thought that he was a fantastic player. I thought he was a really fun guy. Granted, in the outfield, he did lack um, wherewithal. Uh, I don't know the right word to use. That's the only place where I I was not a fan of him, was watching him play right field, because he was... Uh, he was dreadful. I, uh, there's no way to sugarcoat it. He was an awful right fielder, which is why Toronto ultimately did not decide to bring him back. I, I think that's pretty much what, what made the decision for them. Now they've got a very strong defensive outfield with Kiermaier and Varsho and Springer. I think that that was the big reason why they moved on from him. But <clears throat> regardless, he is a Seattle Mariner. He went to the team that knocked us out of the playoffs. And I didn't say he went. We, we traded him there. It's not like he abandoned us or whatever. <clears throat> But I think it's pretty cool that his last playoff series against the Mariners or his last playoff series as a Blue Jay, uh, he did hit a couple of home runs in that game against Seattle. But looking at what he is projected to do, (coughs) what I think he is going to do in that lineup, excuse me, guys, still dealing with some tickle in my throat, which has kind of been there for, Christ, if you guys listen to the show regularly, it's been there for a while. I can't seem to kick it, so apologies for the cough there. I was kind of bad yesterday. Yesterday, right when I was recording with Frank, it was pretty bad. I was doing the live uh, basketball show earlier in the day as well, so that probably didn't help the throat in terms of resting it. But going back to Teoscar Hernandez here, the projections all have him for about 25 to 30 home runs. The low one is 26. The high one is 31. Uh, anywhere from about 80 to 90 RBIs, which, you know, it could be a little bit lower. could be a little bit higher than that. We saw him have 116 RBIs in 2021, playing for that Blue Jays team, and that was an incredible year, that Blue Jays team. Everybody set career highs and everything it seemed like. Semyon had a great year. Robbie Ray had a a ridiculous season, and everybody kind of overperformed a little bit. Not to say that Boba Shett and Vlad Guerrero and even Teoscar Hernandez aren't really capable of doing what they did that year, but I think that they did overperform a slight bit, and maybe that is something that we have to look at with Teoscar and say this isn't really exactly who he is, but if you look at the last couple of years, and even that short season in twenty twenty, you know every year in Toronto he was still giving you twenty plus home runs. You know even twenty six home runs in twenty nineteen before he really broke out. It was twenty two in twenty eighteen. You know because you're going to point to twenty nineteen as the you know the beach ball year, which is fair. <clears throat> but he's done it in the other years surrounding before and after that year. So I'm not holding that against him. The runs and the RBIs are going to be good in that lineup. The steals, you know, maybe he doesn't get double digit steals, but you could make kind of similar arguments to George Springer that Teoscar is probably a five to seven, maybe a six to eight steal guy that could, you know, be pushed up to about ten steals based on these new rules for next season. And that's totally a fair thing to say. Uh, the batting average for him, we saw the last couple of years, very high batting averages on very high BABIPs. This past season, still a pretty high BABIP. We saw it at three thirty-five, but the average went down to two sixty-seven. I do think that he is probably. About a 270 hitter, a 2 275 maybe. And I'm higher than him on the projections in terms of that. But he is very good contact hitter. We saw it consecutive years, 296 and 289. Once he really figured it out, last year he was not really himself. He dealt with some injuries. He missed 30 plus games, and I think people have kind of generally discarded what he did those last couple of seasons because of it. I believe he was a top 50 pick last year. He might have even been a top 45 pick, and now you're getting him at 73. He's the 18th outfielder by ADP, and I have him at 15. I, I like Teoscar Hernandez. There's no reason for me to be fading him. That I know some people have. Some people have talked about how they don't want him. But I'm in. I'm in on Teoscar Hernandez. I think that he has a very solid draft value where he's going, and he makes a lot of sense, even as your first outfielder. I mean, if you've waited to that point, it's probably better in a three-outfielder league, but that's, how I, that's the confidence I feel in his ability. Probably safer if he's your second outfielder, But that's just to to show you that I do feel confident enough in him to take him as the first one. But, guys, that will do it for us for today. Appreciate you hanging out, as always. Go catch up on some of the old episodes if you've missed them. The team previews are going to keep coming over the next couple of weeks. We have some very exciting guests that are going to be coming on the podcast over the next couple of weeks. Carlos Marcano is going to be here next week talking Oakland A's with us. We're going to have Matty Wood, Matthew Davis here from FTN, talking Dodgers. We are going to have James Anderson next week on Monday. He is the next one uh, that you guys should be looking out for. James Anderson, that was going to be Monday. We'll be live at 2 o'clock. Should be live. Uh, Either way, that podcast will be be recording at 2 o'clock. Still figuring out, actually, if it's going to be live or not. But it'll be out Monday. We're going to have a lot of great people joining the show for team previews. We've also got rankings continuing. We have the draft guide coming out. And like I said at the beginning, Britain's podcast. What are you doing Go subscribe to It's Gone. You can find it on my Twitter account at Joe 99 at EthosFantasyBB. That is where his new episodes will be posted from every week. And I really hope you guys show him some support because he's a great dude and he does a fantastic job with his all of his work. He's got a written piece coming out for us in the in the uh in the draft guide as well. I'm very excited to read that one. I haven't actually gotten it yet, but once we do. Uh, We're getting it in the draft guide. Everything will be out there for you guys in the next couple of weeks. Very excited for all of that. Until next week, guys, enjoy your drafting. We will return on Monday with James Anderson of roto to take a look at the Milwaukee Brewers and then continue on next week with more rankings and all that good stuff. But until then, take care, have a good weekend, and cheers, everybody.